This week is a little bit different. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. We're talking about how we tend to travel and maybe long distances. This is the time of year between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. We oftentimes go towards family and we get into car rides and they're very long and they can be pretty tedious sometimes, especially with people who have shorter attention spans, maybe small kids like these. Maybe you recognize some of these uh, images from your own experiences or yourselves. I'm not sure what the kids in the bottom are doing. Maybe they're enacting a Marvel superhero uh, fight. <laughs> um, but oftentimes during the trip you hear, I have to go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. I'm bored. Are we there yet? Well, if you're in the car, you're not there yet. So keep that in mind. <laughs> Personal space issues. He's on my side of the car. He's touching me. All this kind of stuff. But what happens? The driver becomes distracted and gets annoyed because we want to focus on what's going on. We, we, we can't know what's going on in the back exactly. And someone might get hurt. And all of a sudden, they're screaming and crying. And you might yell and bellow to the back to knock it off. Or, at, maybe at the very worst, don't make me stop this car. Well, today's message comes from Numbers 21 because, quite frankly, what would be Christmas without a, a message from Numbers? <laughs> but it's a story about how God pulls the car over because he's had enough. Let me take a moment to pray before I dive into this. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what it is you're doing in our lives. Lord... It's so much my prayer that, uh, that the words today would not be mine, but rather they would be yours. And anything that I do say that is from me would be quickly forgotten, never to be remembered. But those things that are from you, Lord, will be quickened into our hearts and into our minds, finding fertile soil in both places, that as we leave here today, we leave looking more like your son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. So we're talking about the Israelite people. So where are we in this story? Why don't you go ahead and put that slide up. You see a map here of the exodus of the Jews from, from Egypt. And where we are in our story, they're, they're long into this journey, but not quite there yet. Uh, our story takes place, you can see the Dead Sea in the upper right-hand corner of, this, of the map. You can see the word Negeb there. And then just below that is a place called Mount Hor with a little plus symbol because that's a mountain. And that's the general area where we find uh, the people of Israel at this time. Long ago have they crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptians are no longer in their rearview mirror. They're not afraid of them any longer. Uh, chapter 20 of Numbers talks about how they just recently left the town, the area of Meribah, where they saw the miracle of the water being uh, brought from, from the rock. They asked the kingdom of Edom, can we go through so we can get to the other side? And Edom says, no. Well, they think it's a negotiation. So they say, well, what if we just, we won't stop. We're just going to go right through. If we stop for anything, we'll pay you back. Comes back as still, it's a hard no. So now they've got to get out and Google Maps and find out an alternate route and, to get around Edom. But also at this time, God calls Aaron, the high priest, Moses' brother, home. He dies. And Eleazar, his son, is named as the high priest. It's here where Aaron is, is buried, in Mount Hor. 
And then it, as you can see a little bit further north of that area, there's a town called Arid. It may be hard to see. It says Canaanite there. That's where the king of the Canaanites was living. And he saw the, this Jewish people in his general area. He didn't like it, so he attacks them. And he takes them away as, as uh, slaves, as captives. And, of course, they don't like that. I mean, why would they? So they ask God. They say, God, please deliver this people into our hands, and we will destroy their towns. So God says, okay. So he delivers the, the Canaanite people into the hands of the Jews. They destroy the towns. And now we come to our, our chapter 21. And we see, looking in verse 5, it says, Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's a popular refrain. For there is no food and no water, and we are disgusted with this miserable food. Didn't you just say there was no food? And now it's disgusting. Clearly, this is a people looking to complain. They're hyper-focused on their wants and their needs. They understand they're getting some kind of food, but it's not what they want. They're tired of it. And, you know, I start to think about what this wilderness that they've been traveling through looks like. You know, normally, I think of a, a nice a desert. I'm used to the Southwest, the American Southwest. I've been there. You can see some pictures here. Is this kind of what they went through? Well, their lives were a little harder than even something like this. This is more along the lines of what it looked like. A little bit more desolate. A lot more mountainous and rocky. These aren't really high mountains, but that's high enough. Imagine bringing one and a half million to two million people through this area. You can go to the next slide. There's some vegetation. Animals. Remember, they had herds. The Egyptians gave them all kinds of stuff. Gold and silver. Stuff you have to bring with you in wagons. Can you imagine getting a wagon through this area? The young, helping them through this. The old, the infirmed. Their life, to be fair, was hard. You'd think they'd have a, a right to complain. But here's where it's interesting. They saw the water come from the rock at Meribah. They've continually had a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke guiding them and protecting them for 30-some years. They just had the Canaanites delivered to them upon their request. They've been getting manna and quail for this period of time as well. So they have been getting food. They've been able to see the hand of God at work. And yet they complain. Their current life was tiring, was difficult in that moment. Doesn't that happen to us? In a particular moment, life seems really hard. And to be fair, it might be. Is it worse than this? Maybe. But we become hyper-focused on ourselves. We become hyper-focused on our here, our right now. What's happening to me right now? This hurts. This is uncomfortable. It's easy to miss God in those moments. So I encourage us in those moments to step back, to remember what God has done. We see what he's done 
in the past for others. We can look back in our own lives and see what he's done in our own lives. So God has had enough of their complaining. Verse 6 goes on to say, Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Boy, if that isn't the ultimate pulling the car over. I've had it. So he kills people. He brought judgment on the people for their lack of faith and trust in what he was doing and him bringing them through this wilderness. Here's the other part of this that's also interesting. The serpents didn't come out of nowhere. They've been along this journey the whole time as well. They're indigenous to the whole of that peninsula. And yet, they haven't been impacted, the Jews hadn't been impacted until now. Because God had his hand on them, keeping the serpents away. One more thing to see how God has intervened. Well, now he takes his hand off and allows them to be bitten. Looking at these serpents for a moment and their bite, the idea of fire, fiery serpent, is the imagery of Satan and evil. Judgment being played out here. Satan is known as the red dragon in Revelation 12 and the serpent in Genesis 3. His temptations are called fiery darts or flaming arrows in Ephesians 6. So the people saw their transgression against God and his prophet, that being Moses. Verse 7 says, so the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord that he will remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. But notice what happens here in verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and put it on a flagpole, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten and looks at it will live. Verse 9, so Moses made a, a bronze serpent and put it on the flagpole, and it came about that if a serpent bit someone and he looked at the serpent, he lived. Do you see what happened here? He didn't remove the serpents. As they asked, they asked the Canaanites to be delivered into their hands. God did that. They asked the serpents to be removed. God did not do that. What did he do? He provided another way of healing. A different way of healing. He provided a plan for a cure. A plan he put in place. There wasn't physical intervention here. He didn't give them the ability to create some kind of balm or salve to put on a serpent's bite or to create some sort of oral thing to ingest to counterbalance the poison in the bloodstream. People were still getting bitten. He didn't remove the serpents. He didn't remove the people here. They still experienced pain. They still experienced suffering and stinging and the lingering effect of the discomfort of the bites. And so often our expectations, we put on God and say, Lord, I'm going through something difficult. Help me here. And we have in our own minds what we want to see happen. 
We may even try to make that happen. I had a situation many years ago. I was in retail, as I am now, and I was uh, head of the shoe department in a particular store. And I was in early before the store opened because we had freight, new freight come in. And I needed to use a cart to get all the shoes upstairs to where my department was. For whatever reason, there was only one cart that seemed available. It had a bunch of stuff on it already for a different department, but that person wasn't in that day, or at least at that time. So I asked the operations guy if I could take this cart, I'll bring it back and whatever. And I don't know what it was. Maybe he woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but he started yelling at me. No, I can't take it. He walked away, and I thought, I have no other way to get these things up there. So I took all the stuff off the cart, put the shoes on, went upstairs. Well, he saw that. Obviously, he came back. It was missing. He came upstairs and started yelling at me even more. I'm doing my thing, putting stuff away. He's yelling at me. Got to a point where he said, do you want to fight? Let's fight me. Let's go. We're going to go outside. We're going to fight. What are you talking about? For what? And he just kept going and going and going. I, I'm still working. In my mind, I'm praying, God, help me to deal with this. This is ridiculous. What do I need to say here to calm this guy down? What do I need to do? At the same time, I took the, the cart back downstairs. I put the stuff back on. And all through it, he's yelling at me. He leaves. Whatever the day goes on, the next day, I'm praying to God before I get to work. Lord, how do I deal with this guy? He wants to fight me for something so stupid. I get to work and I, I go maybe to seek him out, maybe to have a conversation or I need to talk to him about something and go, where's uh, this guy? Oh, he was fired. Okay. Wow. <laughs> no idea why, but that was someone taken out of the situation. Now in that circumstance, that was something I couldn't control. And the, the situation was removed from me. It's not always the case. But I didn't have a solution. But God did. God has a solution. God is not so much focused on the physical needs here. It's part of a plan. But it's not the focus, not the main focus for both the people then as well as for us today. We see in John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, as Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Not so much about a physical healing as it is about a spiritual healing. We have broken a relationship with God because of sin. We cannot return to him because we can't do the work to get back to him. Only he has a solution. Our solutions are meaningless. And it's in his son, Jesus Christ, that we find the solution. That when we believe on his death on the cross with our sin and his resurrection from the grain apart from our sin, we are then seen as righteous through that belief. That's all it is. That's the gospel. So what did the people have to do? They had to look up at the bronze serpent. The, it's interesting, the New American Standard, which is what I read mostly, it calls it a flagpole. 
every other translation just calls it a put the, the serpent up on a pole. I like the imagery of the idea of a flagpole, though, because you look up at a flag. And you saw the, the terrain. It was very rocky, very hilly. You had to put that thing up high because people had to be able to see it from anywhere where they may have been bitten. Puts them in a position of humility to look up to that which can heal you. To offer God his rightful worship because he restores our rightful relationship with him. Verse 15 goes on to say in John 3, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. Bringing 14 back in, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. Jesus had to come to earth. That's the, the celebration that we're doing this holiday season. His birth. The plan is in force for healing. Not just physical healing, psychological healing. For spiritual and soul healing. He came to live a perfect life because we needed a perfect sacrifice. The animals couldn't cut it in the Old Testament. What we do in and of our own strength won't cut it. Not good enough. But Jesus, he was good enough to be that atoning sacrifice, that perfect atoning sacrifice. So we look up at the cross for healing, especially eternal healing. So what serpent have you been bitten by? Have you been bitten by the serpent of disease? Maybe life-threatening? A serpent of injury where you've been in an accident and you suffer greatly or it's altered how you live your life. The serpent of broken relationships where we see people that we, we used to care about, we used to love, and now we're at odds. The serpent of abandonment, feeling rejected. I don't have an exhaustive list because it would take forever. But maybe the serpent of mental health issues. You think differently than other people. You feel differently. You react differently. You process differently. It makes you feel like an outsider. Maybe it's the serpent of doubt. The serpent of pride. And for sure, the serpent of sin. We look up to the cross. But here's the difference between our story in Numbers and our story now. That bronze serpent was affixed to a pole. That which we look up to is no longer on that cross. He is in heaven with God and is coming back. That's so much greater. That's complete healing. Physical and spiritual. For those of you who don't believe, 
Salvation is there. It's available in that belief in what Christ did on the cross. And for those of us who do, the strength and the trust and the faith that we get from looking at the cross will get us through. It will get us through. Look up at the cross. Look up at the cross. Look up at the cross. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. So, so much for your cross. We thank you that you came to earth as a baby to live a life, a perfect life, to be a perfect sacrifice so that we could look up at a cross and receive not just healing in the temporary, but healing in the eternal, that we might have eternal life with you forever. May you be glorified in this time, Lord. May your words come true by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, thank you, Scott. Well, I can't think of a better way to end our service today than to come to the table. So would you get out your communion elements and be ready to receive those who are watching online as well. Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Our Savior has come. He came to be lifted up on that cross. And these communion elements are symbolic of that. They are a picture of his atoning work for us as he was raised up on that cross. This represents his broken body and his shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. But I love how Scott pointed out that the cross is empty. Jesus has been lifted high. Above all names, above all powers, he lives and he reigns forever. He is our coming king. And all things will come under the glorious feet of Jesus Christ. This is our God. This is our Savior who has come. And so today, as we come to communion, we're reminded that our lives, through his sacrifice, have been reconnected to God. We're alive in Christ to a relationship with God, that we can have eternal life with him. So we lift up the name of Jesus. This morning, as we come to the table, just a reminder, communion is for anybody who's made a commitment to Christ. And the Bible teaches us that whenever we... um, break this bread and drink this cup. We want to prepare our hearts. And that just means confessing our sin and thanking Jesus for the cross. So I want to invite you right now, just on your own, would you please take a moment, let Max play a little. I'll take a step back. Let's take a moment and personally talk to God. God, would you forgive our sins just as you promised? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Let you say it in your own words and then we'll receive this together.